We're continuing our series of sermons in Daniel. And as with chapters 1, 2, and chapter 4, in chapter 5 we once again have what could be called a court contest. A contest in which Daniel will be asked to interpret a dream or a vision where the wise men are not able. And the king has made it a life and death matter. The historical background to our biblical story is that Belshazzar, and by the way, that's a name honoring the god Bel, just like uh, Daniel's name had been changed to a Bel name. Belshazzar means Bel protect the king. He was the son of Nabonidus and was vice-regent uh, or co-leader uh, in charge of Babylon during his father's ten-year absence from the capital city. His father, Nabonidus, had taken up residence in a town called Tima, which is in modern-day Saudi Arabia, to promote his interests in the moon god, Sin. What is specifically behind our story in Daniel 5 is the fall of Babylon to the Persians. And that occurred on October the 12th, 539 B.C. According to a non-biblical document, the Babylonian Chronicle, a few days earlier, Cyrus defeated Nabonidus and his army near Sipar, approximately 50 miles from the capital city. And Belshazzar was totally unaware of his father's defeat. All of this was made possible or I should say is the result of some significant changes. I'm going to do this a little different this morning. I'm actually going to read the whole, most of the chapter, not every verse, but I want to read it through. I want us to hear the story again. Chapter 5 begins. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans and the astrologers. The, de the king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, 
and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, which is actually your grandfather, by the way, your grandfather, the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king had named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he'll show the interpretation. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that the light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I've heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now, if you can read the writing and make it known to me its interpretation, yet you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be of yourself, for yourself, and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing of, to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Verses 18 to 21, by the way, then Daniel is reminding Belshazzar of a bit of the history. So starting with verse 22. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you've lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you've praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood and stone. Which you do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you've not honored. Then from his presence a hand was sent and this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And that very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. May God add his blessing to our reading of this word. How could such a thing happen? I, I think that one of the clues is that all of this was made possible or as a result of the big change that we see taking place between Daniel 4.37 and Daniel 5.3 and 4. 
In 437, we see a king, Nebuchadnezzar by name, who is praising, extolling, and honoring Daniel's God. Now, yes, he refers to him as the king of heaven, praising him for all his righteous works and his just ways, admitting, though, that Daniel's God is able to humble those who walk in pride. However, you just heard me read from 5 through 3 and 4. His grandson, King Belshazzar, calls for the vessels of gold and silver that his father had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem. And he, his wives, concubines, and the lords all drink wine from those vessels while praising the gods of silver and gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. You see what's taking place? That which was considered sacred was being treated sacrilegiously. One historian, Alan Miller, points out that what was going on there was actually unusual because most of the time in a feast like that, they would never use sacred vessels from another temple. Even if they were captured and carried off as booty, the equipment of national sanctuaries was normally treated with respect. You see, when the wine had overcome the king's senses, he ordered that those sacred vessels from the temple in Jerusalem be brought in for his own hedonistic use and pleasures. Proverbs, by the way, chapter 20, verse 1, warns, Wine is a mocker and beer a brawler. Whoever is led astray by them is not wise. Secondly, and I've previously pointed this out, the God of heaven, or as the ESV, I think, correctly translates it, the King of heaven, though this is not a very personal reference for God, the God of Daniel, yet even this minimal respect is replaced with the gods of gold and silver and iron and bronze and wood. And so it is that the king's blasphemy is now combined with idolatry. And so, Belshazzar's impiety, impiety brought actually a, a, a divine response. A word written for the king alone. We're told that suddenly the fingers of a big human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster wall right near the lampstand in the royal palace. An archaeologist, by the way, a man by the name of Coldaway was the excavator of the palace at Babylon and he discovered that in fact the walls were covered with white plaster though unusual for that day just as the Bible says. So the writing on the wall would have easily been seen and the lampstand that's described in scripture would have also illumined the writing surface. Then in verses 5 to 12, we hear about a very fearful king. As Belshazzar watched the disembodied or severed hand or ripple of a ripple of fear went through his body. The description of the king's terror, by the way, describes in descending order four human bodily manifestations of fear. 
His first face turned pale. His thoughts disturbed him. Thanks. His face turned pale. His thoughts disturbed him. The knots of his loins were loosened and his knees knocked together. We're told that the king called out to the wise men of Babylon to interpret the writing on the wall, promising them that great reward. But they couldn't do it. And then in comes the queen. Actually, the queen mother. Not Belshazzar's queen, because his we've already been told that all of his wives and concubines were at the feast. This would have been the still living queen of Nebuchadnezzar, his wife. And as the widow of Nebuchadnezzar, or the mother of Belshazzar, she counsels him to call for Daniel. Because he would, he would be able to tell what the writing in fact means. In all likelihood, Daniel had been replaced as the head of the wise men when Nabonidus seized the throne. And that would account for why Belshazzar was not really well acquainted with Daniel. In verses 13 to 16, it repeats what's already known to the reader. That Daniel's reputation, his challenge, and the reward, we, can, we already know that he'll succeed. And yet, it's the story of the focus of or the failing of a king. Verses 13 down through the end of the chapter. Did you hear how Belshazzar seems actually to sound somewhat contemptuous when he talks about Daniel? You are that Daniel. One of the exiles. This is a man who's been in a position of leadership in Babylon, but he is doing everything he can to put him down, reminding him that he's just one of the Jewish exiles that his father had brought from Judah. He's trying to diminish Daniel in terms of his status. Daniel, on the other hand, he's intent on disassociating himself from any thought of the reward. In fact, I think if Daniel had already read the writing while the king was addressing him, he undoubtedly realized that any such honor would be short-lived anyway. So when Daniel responds to Nebuchadnezzar, there is obviously a sense of respect and concern. In verses 18 to 21, Belshazzar had mentioned his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel uses this reference to the past to point out to Belshazzar why he now stands in danger. If the Most High God would depose of Nebuchadnezzar for his arrogance, what do you think he's going to do to you, Belshazzar, for profaning those things that were dedicated to him? You see, Nebuchadnezzar's pride reflected a misguided sense of accomplishment. Oh, I've done all this. Look at my palaces. His grandson, Belshazzar, on the other hand, was guilty of defiance. He had set himself up against the Lord of Heaven. And Belshazzar should have learned a lesson from the example of his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. Regret, regrettably, however, he hadn't. 
And now he stands on the brink of disaster. Three distinct and key words. They're actually nouns designated in weights. Mina, shekel, half mina. But in the context of divine judgment, and that judgment is explicitly pictured in verse 27 in terms of the scales of God's judgment, nothing is more natural than to take these three things uh, in terms of a riddle to refer to the standards of weights against which precious metals were commonly weighed in antiquity. The weighted stones represented the standards of God's justice. And Belshazzar didn't measure up. So Daniel revocalizes the first noun. But he does it in the form of a verb. Mene. And explains that this means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom. And note, brought it to an end. Past tense. Belshazzar didn't know that his father had already been defeated. Daniel in his interpretation says your kingdom has been brought past tense to an end. The second noun, tekel, vocalized again as a verb, carries the idea of weighing. God is a judge. He's weighed you, the king, in the scales of justice. And the third noun, Perez, which by the way, if you remember the genealogy, there is a person in the genealogy called Perez uh, because it had to do with the same meaning of being divided. It's vocalized as a verb again, meaning something that is assessed. And again, this is a, the idea that it's against God's activity, uh, God's judicial activity, that he's being judged. So in the final analysis, the embodiment of God's judgment over Babylon really can be captured in just one word. Not Perez, but Persia. And so, in verses 30 and 31, we read of the fate of the king. Had Belshazzar studied the prophet Isaiah, especially Isaiah 41-25 and Isaiah 45-1-4, he would have known just how the city of Babylon was going to be taken and by whom it would be taken. Cyrus, the Persian conqueror, would defeat the Medes and then come down upon Babylon. In fact, while Belshazzar was carrying on the great feast and consuming the wine, Cyrus, in fact, would dig a canal that would reroute the Euphrates River. The Euphrates River at one time ran right through Babylon so that they always had a source of water. Cyrus dug a canal and rerouted the river so that his army could go into the city under the gates across the river. By the way, there are two, again, non-biblical sources 
historical sources, Herodotus and Xenophon, who mention the fact that a banquet marked the end of the Neo-Babylonian Empire, just as we have in Daniel 5. These historians record that although the Babylonians had seen the enemy digging, they thought they were going to build a wall, a mound against the city, and so they actually weren't worried about it. But instead, they were diverting the river. Why was Belshazzar and the city taken unaware? First of all, the Babylonians themselves say that due to the great size of the city, the outskirts were captured without the people in the center knowing anything about it. And that's where the festival was going on. And even while the city was falling, they continued to dance and enjoy themselves until the hard facts brought them to their senses. And then second, because most of the people were drunk, it was a great religious feast day and the people were too involved in their sumptuous pleasures to think about defense. In fact, the enemy came right into the banquet hall, we're told, and the king was slain. Belshazzar was slain that night and as we are told in verse 31, Darius the Mede received the kingdom. The government of Babylon was entrusted to him at the age of 62. Do you find it interesting that his name is mentioned, his, his age is mentioned? To me, it seems like an incidental, non important fact. But interestingly, again, If a mina is valued at 60 shekels, which it was, then a mina, a shekel, and two halves of a shekel, guess what? Come up to 62. Darius is the actual person who brings the fruition to fruition the omen. What a warning this should be to any nation. What a warning this should be to any church. What a warning this should also be to us as individuals. We have become such a pleasure-mad world, such an entertainment-seeking church, such a pleasure-intense society today that it's not going to be hard for an enemy to take us unaware. And once again, history will repeat itself. So here's my challenge for you this morning. I think you and I need to see the writing on the wall. That God expects even the greatest of people, humble hearts, that they're obedient, that they're loyal, that they are seeking first the kingdom of God. You see, pleasing God is or should be the goal of all believers, all who call upon the name of Christ for salvation. The requirements for all who want to please God are that they must seek God by faith, they must walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh, and they must walk worthy of our calling and obedience and submission to the will of God. In Romans 8, Paul explains the difference between the sinful nature 
and the nature of those who are regenerated by spirit. Those who are still in their sin have their minds set on sinful desires. Whereas the ones regenerated, regenerated by Christ, should have a completely new mind that is controlled by the spirit and desire to live in accordance with him. Romans chapter 8 verse 6 and 7 says this, The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Pleasing God is a matter of living according to His precepts, His commandments, and doing so in love. We always want to please those we love. And the New Testament is full of exhortations for righteous living and loving Christ by obeying His commandments. Jesus made it very plain. John 14 verse 15. If you love me, you'll obey what I have commanded. I like what Paul wrote to the Christians at Thessalonica. Finally then, brothers... We ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. So let me ask you, are you more concerned on being honored than on bringing honor to God? Are you more interested in being pleased than you are in bringing pleasure to God. You see, we should always remember that truly those who seek to be first will be last and those who are willing to be last will be first. Let's pray. Father God, as we once again hear this story, a story of familiarity, Help us not to be so familiar that we overlook the important message. That no matter how strong we might think we are, that our defiance will only bring judgment. And it might not be immediate as it was in the case of Belshazzar that very night. Or his grandfather Nebuchadnezzar who while he was still speaking was struck and became an animal in a human body. But it is inevitable. We will be responsible for the choices we make. Help us to make good choices. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our hymn of acceptance commitment this morning is Make Me a Blessing, number 477. Let's stand and let's sing. Highways of life, many are weary and sad. Carry the sunshine where darkness is rife, making the sorrowing glad. Make me a blessing.
sweet story of Christ and his love. Tell of his power to forgive. Others will trust him if only you prove true every moment you live. Make me a blessing. Make me a blessing.
victory.